Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, usually recorded at the PW offices in New York City, but we're all at, we're a little spread out tonight. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And uh, don't forget, uh, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on uh, Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Now, I should also say here, uh, our, our valued co-host, Heidi McDonald, Heidi the Beat McDonald, is indisposed tonight. I mean, I shouldn't chuckle. She actually is hurt, though not badly, and she's going to take a break tonight, uh, but she will be back. So, uh, feel better, Heidi. All right. Yes. So, um, and as we always do each week, uh, we encourage our readers to, uh, leave us some reviews. Tell us what you think. We're here for you. Um, <laughs> we love to hear from our listeners. So, um, you know, wherever you're listening to it, uh, if you're listening on iTunes or some other platform, platform, uh, find a comments file and tell us what you think. All right. All right, this week on More to Come, uh, The Fanatic, my new newsletter, launched uh, last week with a uh, lead story about uh, the wonderful, the dynamic, uh, the visionary, Spike Trotman, uh, and her Iron Circus uh, uh, publishing house. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, the Black Comics Expo this past weekend, uh, Troubles at Patreon, uh, TCAF will launch in uh, – well, TCAF – Excuse me, TCAF announced its initial list of guests, and uh, the Dwayne McDuffie uh, Diversity Awards announced their uh, nominations for this year. So, um, the fanatic. <laughs> okay, uh, for those of you who may not have heard our last week's podcast, the fanatic is a new twice a month uh, newsletter that I will be editing. Uh, it will be about comics and pop culture. Um, uh, one of the things that did, uh, it worked on this year was, um, we did was a, um, in our inaugural issue, uh, was a, uh, our lead story about Spike Trotman, the, uh, the, uh, uh founder of Iron, Iron Circus Comics, um, a, uh, you know, kind of the queen of crowdfunding. I mean, she launched her career by raising really phenomenal sums on, sums on Kickstarter to self-publish her a wide variety of work, uh, before she decided to actually become a straight-up, legit publisher. Uh, so, what is the story written by Bridget Alverson, and you can find it at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Uh, Bridget Alverson did a, a, did a, a little pro, pro, a profile um, that looked at Iron Circus from its beginnings, um, what was about, tw- uh, uh, I think it was founded in 2007, uh, basically to publish uh, you know, Spike's early, to self-publish Ike's, Spike's, uh, uh, early comics. And then, uh, um, but next year, or rather I should say this year, uh, Spike's gonna publish 11 books. Uh, she's got a staff, uh, she's got a distributor uh, through, uh, book distribution through consortium. She actually is not doing quite as much, uh, crowdfunding or any crowdfunding except for Smut Peddler. I mean, one of the things that Spike did early on was she uh, uh, published these anthologies of of uh, sort of queer-friendly and women-focused erotica. 
Uh, and in fact, I think Smut Peddler, her, her first book, I mean, she raised what? Uh, about $80,000 in 2012 to publish the first Really one. remarkable. Smut Peddler. Yes, all along. In fact, between, I think, 2007 and 2014, I, or no, 2017, wasn't she hit a million dollars? Something like. I think she had a million dollars, that she's raised via uh, Kickstarter, uh, uh, to publish around 14 different, um, uh, projects. Um, apparently she's not doing quite as much crowdfunding now, um, except for Smut Peddler, which has sort of become an annual publication. Now she's a straight up publisher. You know, she's like, uh, Focus on getting into the book trade. Anyway, uh, I, 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 you know, I don't, I, I don't want to talk the story. You can go to publishersweekly.com slash comics and, uh, take a look at it. And I think the story is called Trotman's Iron Circus Celebrates, um, Strange and Amazing Comics. Uh, and, and though the rest of, now, the fanatic going forward will be, a, uh, it'll be a, it'll be a way to actually highlight a lot of, of comics and pop culture oriented material on PW. And we'll be doing some original, um, uh, publishing, some uh, original reporting as well. So look for the fanatic on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. So we'll have an issue next week. Check us out. Um, and once again, let us know what you think. All right. And, um, you know, more to come on, on, uh, the fanatic. All right. So, um, uh, uh, this past weekend was also the black comics expo, which I will have to say in advance, I did not attend this year. I'd attend the inaugural one last year and it's very exciting, but, uh, just looking at some of the accounts of it, it looks like this year was it also, once again, another big winner. Um, uh, there was a really interesting account on the beat. Uh, they kind of talked about some of the aspects of Black Comics Expo. First of all, it looks like it was packed with people as it was last year. Uh, but I thought it was very interesting. This, um, uh, some of the panel, uh, the panel programming, in particular, one of the, um, I, I guess the, uh, uh, projects or one of the, um, the, the panels or, or, uh, uh, was a, a neurospeculative Afro-feminist VR experience uh, produced by this uh, uh, group of women uh, kind of scientists, uh, entrepreneurs called Hyphen Labs. So uh looked very interesting uh, um, uh, uh, and an effort to create a VR experience around um, the lives of black women and women of color. Um, I believe Ashley Woods, the, the comics creator, was uh, kind of a part of the, uh, uh, the, the, the panel discussion. And, um, uh, overall there were a lot of, you know, I'm, uh, you know, if it was anything like last year, it was packed with vendors. Uh, as, as I understand, Jerry Kraft was there. His new kids graphic novel, New Kid, is really, you know, racking up a lot of great reviews. So, uh, um, uh, I, once again, I wasn't able to attend, but, uh, it sounds like, um, good time was had by all. Yeah. So. Uh, a quick rundown of the Black Comics Expo uh, this past weekend. And in fact, it was in Brooklyn, at um, and it's held at BAM. All right. So moving on, we're going through the list kind of fast. Jump in whenever you want, Kate. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm just I'm okay. just waiting until I have something to say, and Calvin's going chug 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 yeah. through topics, and I'm like, 
Calvin's on a roll. Well, I'm kind of rolling here, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to a point. Now, the next item on our list, uh, is very interesting. It seems as though there's trouble in Patreon land. Yes. So, um, Here's where we get interesting. Yeah. So now for those of you who may not be familiar, I mean, we're all familiar with Kickstarter and how you can, you know, you can, um, you can launch a campaign and solicit donations to, you know, to support a specific project. And I think yes. they're, what are they? They're, uh, the campaigns run for what a month and either you make, the, if, you, if you, if you make your goal, you get the money. If you don't, then, you know, you have to start over. Patreon is designed, oh, excuse me, go on. Yeah, whereas Patreon has a yeah. different and more long lasting model where the concept is, say you like this podcast, not us, dear listeners, we're funded by Publishers Weekly Magazine, but other fine podcasts. And you wish to pay this podcast creator $2 a month every month for their fine podcast as long yeah. as episodes come out. You just sign up for Patreon. You say, I pledge $2 a month as long as episodes come out. Boom. And then Patreon will take the money out of your account and pay it to the podcast creator every month. And so until you stop that subscription, you're a patron of the person. And the way that works is it's kind of like, you know, the medieval or renaissance system of patronage, only instead of one really rich person, there are hundreds or thousands yeah. yes, of normal be. people contributing a couple bucks. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's really a way for you to support a, an artist or some venture over the long term. Yeah. It, it lacks that um, rush, 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 uh, got to get it in, got to get everybody together, uh, and then the loss of audience at the end that you get with Kickstarter which otherwise is fine in many ways. So really the concept of Patreon is a very strong one and extremely popular with comics, with web comics, um, because it, it allows a sustained long-term project. Exactly. And, and it's really, I mean, in many cases, uh, some artists are actually, uh, uh, generating, you know, significant money on a monthly basis, uh, through Patreon. Yes. And in fact, the way it was originally designed by Jack Conti, the the, uh, the founder of it, um, as I understand it, I mean, over ninety percent of the money that's raised goes directly to the creators. Yes. Uh, Patreon gets five percent. Yes. And then the other five percent is sort of a processing fee. Yes. yes. But here's the thing: so Patreon made at least. $500 million per year for creators and that in pledges. And then that means yeah. that um, $55 million uh, in one year has gone to Patreon. Now, anyone might say $55 million. That sounds pretty good for a website. But here's the problem. Venture capital. Yeah. They were loaned a lot of money, and um, while they're paying it back, Thrive Capital doesn't want to hear, I'll get you your money in two years. They want their money quadrupled immediately, and that's just not happening with their current business model. Yeah. Well, that's what VCs do. They invest in you so that they can get a big return on investment, and apparently um, the VC that has a 
invested a sizable chunk of money in Patreon is what Thrive and Thrive Capital. Yep, and Thrive Capital. What's over a hundred million dollars invested? Hundred and seven million dollars. Yeah. Um, and you know, like most VCs, they want big multiples in their return on investment. Yeah, and but the thing is that a lot, for example, um, Kickstarter, which has similar financials, is doing okay funding wise. Um, and some people have said that's because Kickstarter has been more agile in adjusting their business model, not based on what someone in an office sort of imagines people want, but on what clients have discovered to do with it. Like Kickstarter, originally the idea was like, uh, Someone's doing an art installation and you want to see it and you give them some money. But then, you know, creators thinking outside the box were like, hey, I can use this as, as a way to uh, pre-sell my book. I can use this as a way to pre-sell um, this device I'm inventing. And Kickstarter rolled with it and was like, hey, that's cool. We didn't think of it, but we'll go with it. Yeah. Whereas Patreon has had some moments of growing pains where, like, they're so attached to the business model they want, it doesn't seem that they have a lot of of, of respect for the business model they have. Yeah, they don't. They don't really seem to be adapting to the needs of their their subscribers very well. That's been one of the complaints about them. Yes. Um. um and I think that hurts profits. Um. Well, they don't. Yeah. It it hurt. It, it, it hurts the ability to use the platform in a creative way. It certainly hurts profits because they they're they're just not set up to deliver profits. They don't offer very many services to the people that use it. Uh, they apparently are trying to rethink that and to come up with um, new ways to get to probably to carve out some of that 90 percent that goes to creators. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would have a lot more faith in it and like, oh, hey, maybe I'll do some value added stuff that people actually want. If they had shown any sign they could be trusted to come up with new innovations on their business model in a way that people actually want. Like Kickstarter has all kinds of little bonuses that, you know, can get Kickstarter a little extra cash. Um, you know, uh, a lot of companies can come up with like a lot of video games. They realized that fans didn't even really want like extra levels. They would be happy with like, buying digital hats for their characters. Hey, look, he's got a cool hat on. Like, there's so many ways that if you've got this faithful audience, you can figure out ways to sell them things they want. You just have to figure out what they actually want instead of being like, here's what I think you should buy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a shame actually that Heidi isn't here tonight because actually Heidi, for, for, for a while, Heidi had a Patreon account and and she's talked a little bit in the past about you know for instance even going on patreon and trying to discover and find um maybe other content producers that might have something that you would be interested in supporting 
can be it's very difficult. Impossible. Discoverability is a very problem. So that yeah. I mean, and that would seem like the first thing that any kind of platform would would offer. Yeah. yeah. And, you know. It would, it, like, people want to give money to you, make it easy for them. Like, I have to say that I have, there are a couple Patreons I support. Mm-hmm. Um, I support, um, a couple podcasters and one of my favorite fantasy novelists. Mm-hmm. And I support, uh, the comics blog Okazu. And mm-hmm. small pledges all. And every single one of those I didn't find through the Patreon website. Yeah. Like, I went onto that person's personal website after I had heard them saying or writing like, oh, hey guys, you can support my Patreon. I'd be like, oh, you have a Patreon? Okay. I click through the link on their website and then I get to it. So yeah. for example, I was on a, a Patreon kick at the beginning of this year <laughs> because, you know, it's the beginning of the year. You want to set up new things and everything. I had canceled a few services. I thought, okay, I'll contribute some money directly to creators through Patreon. So I go in through the website of Isaac Meyer, a podcast who does history of Japan. And I, you know, give him some money. And then I think, Oh, I'd like to give some money to this other history podcast. I like, I had to like spend a lot of time spelunking around <laughs> on the Patreon website being like, how do I do? Does he have one? How do I give him money? And then I finally just gave up, typed the name of the podcast into Google, went to the guy's website, fumbled around through his website, found his Patreon link, clicked on it, went back to Patreon, and gave the guy some money. Yeah. Like, dude, shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, it's interesting. I mean, for all of its faults, though, uh, we, we should remind us, I mean, Patreon, it's it, is does deliver. It really uh, does. Uh, on and, what it was set up to do. Yeah, go on. Yeah. And I think that's why people are so frustrated. No one would care if Patreon were a crappy website. If Patreon were not a service people could use. Yeah. What it's I, it's frustrating to all of us because Patreon has a good service and a lot of potential and like you know, it's it's the kind of audience that a lot of tech companies would kill to have, and they just don't seem to understand how to monetize it in a way that would actually be beneficial to everyone. Yeah, well, right now they seem to, yeah, they definitely need to monetize it in ways that will be beneficial to them, apparently. Well, but I mean, like, (laughs) what I'm saying to everyone, where, like, if you try to monetize it in a way that your clients don't like, you lose clients or they don't right. buy the extras, right? So, so, uh, come up with a service people want to buy and everyone goes home happy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, because, uh, just as Kickstarter has essentially, you know, kind of set the standard, um, uh, for a certain kind of crowdfunding, Patreon kind of has set the kind of standard for the recurring, you know, um, long-term support kind of platform. So, um, <clears throat> Uh, and it's interesting, uh, for sure, crowdfunding in general is here to stay. Uh, and so both Kickstarter and Patreon have a, have a big advantage. Now, Patreon is kind of, has its area of the business and Kickstarter has, has its. And what we see is that several things have tried to grow up around them. They're a little smaller. For instance, Kickstarter tried its own Patreon-like 
platform called Drip. Uh, yeah, but they're so. they're rethinking it. They haven't like discontinued the concept of doing such a thing. They're just trying something new in that regard. They're, it's well, they're out apparently going to end it in about a year. So, well, they, what they're it, doing, they're going to replace it. They're yeah, saying. they're going to. Re- they say they're going to replace it. So, yes. And they, uh, they, they, they have new. a plan. They have a team that's actually working yeah. on it. It's not like they're just saying, "Oh, we're going to do it." Um, yeah. What they said there is there they've already provided uh, seed funding to uh, two other tech people to like work on that project right now. So they're already building what's going to replace Drip. Yeah. All right. So so there'll be more to come on uh, the fate of um, the further development of Patreon and whatever Kickstarter's got in store, in store for its own recurring payments platform. So we'll return to this, uh, you know, at a certain point. All right? Uh, Absolutely. Let's on our next. Okay. Uh, TCAF. So, uh, TCAF, one of the, if not the, uh, most enjoyable and, uh, uh, fruitful, uh, comics arts festivals, uh, and that's the Toronto Comics Arts Festival. And it takes place every year in May. They just announced, um, their first list of guests. Uh, I think, uh, this year TCAF will be on May 10th in Toronto. Uh, I'll be there, um, uh, it's just a great show, but they've got an all-star lineup of artists that are going to be there. Uh, and I think starting off with, uh, Junji Ito, uh, the, the manga yes. horror master who did the poster this year. So that's pretty exciting. And TCAF is. for a comics arts festival is an international festival. I mean, uh, obviously there are, you know, in Canada, the French, French-speaking um, countries are, are there, but manga is really big, really big, including uh, appearances by really phenomenal manga ka uh, every year. So uh, Junji Ito will be there this year. In addition to, uh, you know, an all-star lineup of Emily Carroll, Brian Selznick. Selznick has uh, one of his new graphic books. Lucy Nicely will be there. She's got a new graphic novel, uh, excuse me, graphic nonfiction workout about her or pregnancy and kind of like the women and reproduction. Seth, uh, I think will de- be debuting his, um, his masterwork, Clyde Fans, this long running graphic novel, which I think has finally been completed. Uh, and the list goes on and on. I believe Ezra Clayton Daniels and Ben Passmore are there with their book, Bottom Feeders, which I think is going to be a big book. So, uh, the, these, and this is just the first, uh, initial announcement of, of artists. I suspect there'll be a lot more. Uh, as we go through our list here, the McDuffie nominations. So this year, um, we're going into the fifth annual Dwayne McDuffie Award for Diversity in Comics. Um, that means it's been over five years since the late, great Dwayne McDuffie, uh, was no longer with us. Um, For those who don't know, he's the founder of uh, Milestone Media, the really pioneering uh, African-American-owned partnership with DC Comics that launched a whole line of, of, you know, of African-American and women um, and women of color uh, um, characters uh, with a multicultural staff. uh, Really, uh, you know, it's it's. 
kind of seen as a kind of seminal moment in American comics. So, yes. And so I can tell you a little bit about um, not only who the nominees are, but also who the judging panel is, which is really quite fun. Yeah. So this year's finalists are Papa Cherry by Saxton Moore and Philip Johnson, the Snagglepuss Chronicles of all things by Mark Russell and Mike Feehan, Archival Quality by Ivy Noel Weir and Christina Stewart, Victor yes. Lavelle's Jeez. Destroyer by Victor Lavelle and Dietrich Smith, and The Carpet Merchant by Ramina Yee. Great. Um, terrific. And the judges. The judges include our very own Heidi McDonald. Yes. Yeah. Cheryl Lynn Eaton, Jennifer DeGuzman, Joan Hilty, Jamal Eichel, yep, Mickey Kendall, Kevin Rubio, Jeffrey Thorne, and Will J. Watkins, who's the director of the Dwayne McMuffey Award. Sure. So. And, you know, and people like Cheryl Lynn Eaton is a longtime yes. friend of the show and a, she was a uh, a PW Comics uh, uh, intern at one point. Jennifer DeGuzman used to write for PW, um, so it's an all star in class. Well, you know, not only that, I mean, dropping names for PW here a little bit. <laughs> let's 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 uh, polish our own star. And I mean, we have I know we have an interview with Eigel in our uh, back oh, yeah, catalog. Sure, archive, for sure. um, I'm pretty sure we have uh, Joan Hilty. If we haven't, we, we need to. Do yeah. we have a Joan Hilty interview? You know what? I'm not sure we do. Uh, I actually, Joan is on the gra- the Brooklyn Book Festival graphic novel committee along with me. So, um, you know, once again, I, I, you know, I know her pretty well. I've written about her, but not necessarily about comics. So uh, oddly enough, but I don't know. We may have an interview with Joan somewhere. I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to go back through the archives, Calvin. And listeners, listeners, uh, given that he and Joan are working together on that um, committee, I'm pretty sure that if we don't have an interview with Joan Hilty yet, we will. (laughs) We'll get one soon. We will get one soon. So, all right. So, on that note. um, The briefs. We've got some media news here. Um, Marvel has announced that they are going to be doing some adult animation. And headlining this list is going to be a Howard the Duck cartoon for adults. But where will it be? Will it be on Netflix, dear listeners? No. No, it will not. It will be on Hulu. So you could get all kinds of uh, Kremlinology about why this might be. But um, if you want to see Howard the Duck in his newest and possibly greatest incarnation, then you should drop by Hulu when it comes out. And Calvin, something we thought we'd discuss, but uh, seems to have been booted to the briefs, is Boondocks. Oh, yeah. Now, listeners, some of you may think of Boondocks as a TV show, but once upon a time, the Boondocks by Aaron McGruder was a comic strip. And... Well, Aaron McGruder's back! So far, there are only a few comics, um, but he's addressing everything from um, sort of a state of the union for a racism at the moment to, um, you know, the Mueller investigation and the current administration. And he's doing it in trademark boondock style. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're funny and they're like penetrating. Um, 
it seems to be unclear whether he's actually coming back as a regularly syndicated uh, cartoonist. Uh, I think this was like a moment that um, he was able to kind of put some um, put some content out. Uh, he was working with that that uh, the big DJ that um, Charlemagne God, yeah. And they kind of put it on the map for them, help help him get it up there. But it, he certainly seems to still have his writing chops. He worked with um, uh, what Sun Kim, a, a cartoonist, to do the uh, the illustrations. But um, yeah, they, they, he's taken on as he always has the biggest issues of the day. And of course, we got a pretty big issue in the White House right now. So uh, there's plenty of targets for him whenever he wants to come back. Yeah, and you know, I mean, frankly. Even if he doesn't want to come back to a regular weekly strip, which can be a lot to ask of a creator, this is clearly proving that the uh, appetite in the audience is still there. So if, you know, he wants to do, say, a little small collected graphic novel every once in a while of of strips, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that uh, his fans would snap them right up. Yeah, well, we can only hope, huh? (laughs) We can only hope. Aaron Magruder, the comics field needs you. We need you back. Uh, you know, we're, we're glad that you went into animation, but, but, uh, the comic strip is calling you. It's calling you, sir. All right. Um, speaking of digital comics, not all digital comics are wanted or a boon to everyone. Sometimes comics end up digital the wrong way. As some of you listeners know, uh, Japan has a bit of a comics piracy problem. Okay, they've got a lot of a comics piracy problem. And um, they are cracking down hard. Three pirate manga site runners um, have found themselves arrested in a sting. And they're facing um, surprisingly harsh sentences. Uh, jail time is being handed down to three creators of so-called leech sites. Uh, these are sentence terms um, varying between um, two years and four months and three years and six months. And so the problem with leech sites is that they're not just the small site of the individual um, who, you know, scanslated something and is distributing it to the hardcore fans of that book. That in itself has a relatively narrow reach because it takes a lot of work on the part of the fan to, like, find it, get it together. But a lot of the big ones, like, say, the former manga Fox, for example, mm-hmm. uh, slurp up not only these scanslated um, editions, they also just have straight-up scanned... Um, official translations or um, original content and then aggregate it all one easy-to-reach place without giving any financial benefit to the creators. And um, it's nice that um, now the manga industry is starting to think of ways to, you know, use a similar business model while actually getting the profits for themselves because... Um, a lot of these sites are made for profit and uh, they're costing Japanese publishers roughly $3.7 billion, they're estimated, every year. Well, again, yeah, and piracy is tough and it does affect publishers, although publishers uh, around the world are known for 
really jacking up the, the the size of the money that supposedly they lose through copyright violations. That is true. So um, that, that doesn't have, mean they aren't they, that they don't suffer from um, yeah from piracy. Yes, um, and, but I think one of the things. Oh, excuse me. Go on. Go on. Oh, I was saying one of the things that that article talks about, though, is that despite this hard, hard sentence in this case, fighting piracy and, – and, and we seem to be in a slightly better situation now in terms of print yeah. manga anyway because uh, sales seems to be going up. But at the same time, uh, uh, manga piracy has not gone away. It's very difficult to stop. Uh, this is unusual in the fact that they seem to actually have caught somebody and actually levied some pretty serious penalties. But the fact is – you know, as soon as you wipe out one of these sites, it pops up in another place. So uh, yeah. it's an ongoing issue in the industry. Yes. I mean, I think there, there are a couple solutions. And the most obvious one, well, to us, probably not to the people who are enforcing, is to give people a viable alternative. Like, video piracy went down a lot with the official streaming sites at reasonable prices like Netflix or Hulu. Um, and now some of the publishers are trying things like Manga Plus yeah. or like the Shonen Jump site where people can pay a relatively low price yes. in order to get, you know, official content or um, Crunchyroll's limited but ad-supported model for some of their anime. Yeah. And um, simulpubs you know, too. I yes, imagine. and simulpubs. Yeah. A lot of the time, piracy doesn't happen because nobody wants to pay anything. It's because people aren't getting it in the form they want or they aren't getting it as easily as they want. And if you can serve your audience as well as just some guy um, with a bunch of skeevy Google ads stealing your content, if, if you if you can serve your audience as well as that dude, which is not as hard as you think, man – um, you, you can make profit off of those eyeballs even more than he does because I have great sympathy for the fan translators who, you know, are, are, there's some book that's never going to come out in your language. Um, and you're translating it and giving it to your, your limited audience and you take it down when the original, when the official translation comes out, if it ever does. But this is, this is not that. These are people who are slurping vast amounts of this content onto a commercial ad-supported site where, like, someone is selling sandals or is selling umbrellas on Google ads, and these ads are being carried next to unpaid-for content. So I can understand how the manga industry would have much more negative feelings toward this than they would toward... Typical fan translation behavior. All right, sorry. All right, so that's that's a story that isn't going away for sure. No, right. it's not going anywhere. So, um, why don't I? Can I jump in about the, uh, the new? Hum- yeah, I'm going to jump in about the the new humble bundle. For those of you who may not remember what humble bundle is, humble bundle is a, a fascinating uh, promotional. Uh, uh, site that that puts together um, digital content, uh, video games, uh, which draws a massive audience to its site, but also ebooks, and in under the ebook category, also graphic novels, digital graphic novels. So um, 
they one of the other things you can do in addition to you can bid whatever you want to pay and pay it for um, these bundles of content. Uh, you can also uh, direct it part of what you pay for it go to a charity. So it, it, it not only has this uh, this humble bundle kind of open up a lot of material to new readers and also provide a windfall of, of uh, royalties uh, to the artist and as well as payments to the publisher. Um, uh, but it can be an incredible windfall on the charity side. So the uh, Humble Bundle has worked with the uh, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, the CBLDF, in the past and um, in many ways has really helped transform the organization by a huge influx of charitable donations in, in six figures. I think um, uh, Humble, uh, Humble Bundle has delivered over $200,000 to um, the CBLDF that's enabled them to really beef up all of their programs, create uh, educational programs to make sure they have lawyers at the ready. Because what CBLDF does is um, uh, is to protect First Amendment rights. They are a watchdog for free expression. Uh, they they have the back of retailers, publishers, librarians when people try to censor um, to try to censor material. So uh, CBLDF is teaming with Humble Bumble, hum, Humble Bundle. And generally what happens is you can pay for, you know, for a dollar, if you donate a dollar, you can, you'll get five comics. I mean, among them, Bob's Burgers, Plants and Zombies, uh, you know, Howard Chaikin's American Flag, Lumberjanes. And you these aren't just like issues. These are like entire graphic novels. Yeah, these are, these are generally, it's volume ones of the runs of these books. So, I mean, it, it keeps going on. If you pay $8, you can get, um, you know, uh, Jeff Lemire's Essex County and about five other books. If you pay, oh, including Fence, um, Adam Warren's Empowered, uh, Fonte Bukowski by, uh, 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 Novinsky. Uh, and then you, and it goes on. You pay 15. Giant Days, oh, Lumberjanes, yeah, Drug, Judge Dread. From Hell Saga. I mean, it's really, I mean, you can really, I'm, in fact, I need, I, I, I have bought Humble Bundles, haven't done one lately, but you know, I might get this one myself. So, because it's a pretty good bundle, and you're delivering uh, really a really big donation to a really uh, important uh, organization that fights uh, fights censorship around the country. So, yeah, I mean, we've got uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour, Complete Elf Quest, um, a lot of like really thick major graphic novels, and um, you yourself can choose what percentage of your money you want to give to a donation and what percentage of your money you'd like to give to the creators. And while they have uh, every, while every bundle has a featured charity, there's usually multiple charities that you can uh, choose that you can choose from. Yeah. So there. Oh, you know what? We do have one, just a one brief thing I mentioned. G. Willow Wilson is leaving Ms. Marvel. That's sort of worth mentioning. Yes. I mean, after five years, uh, she was really the creator this, of that yeah. particular incarnation of the comic, the uh, Kamala Khan version of Ms. Marvel, uh, as uh, obviously Carol Danvers moved on to being Captain Marvel. Yes, yes. And to, she she took this uh, um, this opportunity to create this, what, this uh, Palestinian-American teenager. No, nope, no, nope. Pakistani-American. Excuse me, Pakistani-American teenager. And she's really... I mean, this is really, it's really a, a wonderful hit 
um, in uh, for Marvel and for for Wilson as the writer. So she's leaving after five years, but uh, she certainly has blazed a pathway um, for diversity and the inclusion in our in comics. Well, not only that, she's really created. A, a new iconic Marvel car yeah. character. Like people talk about like, oh, you know, these diversity characters, they come and they go and nobody remembers them and Kamala Khan is not that. Yeah, right. Like she has a devoted and loving following and will be with Marvel for many years to come. Uh, was there another brief? Um, well, we've got something else. We've got something that's not quite a brief, Calvin. We have Meg Lemke's stargazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, so we are going to transition here to our monthly segment called Stargazing with Meg Limke, where we look at star reviews, and Meg will uh, take us through uh, three titles that, that you know are worth some extra attention. Okay, uh, podcast listeners, um, uh, this is Calvin Reed, uh, again, and welcome to another episode of, of Stargazing, uh, and a segment where we take a look at some of the best reviews of the week with PW Graphic Novels review editor Meg Limke. Hey Meg, how you doing? Hello. So great. So what have you got for us this week? What's in the stars? What's in the stars? <laughs> we are jumping right in with three books that are um, winter title. So the first one was actually out in November. It's Piero by Edmund Baduan, and it's from New York Review Comics. Oh, great. Well, we know, we love their comics. Uh, they really have done a great job in, in bringing in, uh, these sort of quiet masterpieces from, uh, European publishers. This is such a beautiful, beautiful book, and it's, um, translated and introduced by Matt Madden, who is a friend. Oh, yes. Of- yeah, absolutely. Matt Madden, so, cartoonist himself, husband of mm-hmm. uh, Jessica Abel, uh, also fabulous cartoonist. Yeah, and previously the series editor for the Best American Comics, yes. which, finally, mm-hmm. I uh, launched when I was at Houghton Mifflin. Okay. <laughs> there all you all go. comes together. Your but hands are in every pot. <laughs> this, um, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous comic about two brothers. So it's, it's about Edmund's older brother, Piero, and... When the little boys were growing up, they were both artists, and then they took different paths as they as they matured. And it's um, as simple a story as that, but really gets into um, French culture and the countryside. You know, the period. Mm-hmm. It's a period piece. He's um, a master uh, cartoonist in in France, and the style is different than the style he's known for. It's this um, kind of like sketchy pen and ink and he's known for like a very brushy stroke so as you get into kind of bidet bidet like um bandesne mm. culture this is a departure from his other work and then matt has a really fantastic introduction in the beginning that that situates it in this um period where a lot of like major artists were being asked to do books about that would appeal to young adults uh-huh. um so it's really a just like a really special book the reviewer loved it um and suggests that something between classical Renaissance cartoons and great children's book artists like Sendak and Artizone. Awesome. High praise indeed. 
So that one is out in November. And then the next two that we're going to discuss are mm-hmm. February publications. So this yeah. is for you to poise yourself at the bookstore door. Um, the first, and just to you know, remind everyone, these have all received starred reviews at Publishers Weekly, which means that the book reviewers who are anonymous came to me as a reviews editor and said, these are really fantastic and they go above and beyond. And can we note that in the magazine by giving them a star? Yes. Um, so the first is by James Sturm, uh-huh. um, who is a noted cartoonist and educator. He's the founder of one of the uh, country's first schools for cartooning, um, which the is the Center for Cartoon Studies. Yeah. Thank you. In Vermont. Yes. Correct? Mm-hmm. A fabulous a place. I was fortunate enough to be a visiting uh, I guess visiting critic <laughs> there or journalist there. Uh, really, um, in addition to being a tremendous uh, graphic novelist, he's a he's a wonderful educator. So yeah, he's literally written the book, and I think perhaps two books on how to write comics. And oh right, mm-hmm. adventures in cartooning. Expecting to be so drawn in by it. Off season follows um, an anthropomorphic character. They're they're dogs basically. Um, across the like turnover of the 2016 election in the U.S. Um, and it's really about the dissolution of a marriage mm-hmm. and family and where this dog man person lies in the greater political landscape as sort of one individual. But um, it, you know, it could have come off as like another Trump supporter apologist piece, which I feel like we've seen, a lot of in the news, like how, mm-hmm. how did, um, toxic masculinity and sort of anger and like economic issues drive this election. But instead it really becomes this very personal work that's much more about, um, love and marriage and, and regret. Mm-hmm. And I, I really was completely moved by it in tears and read it all in one sitting and I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Well, I, I have not read it, but it's on my list for sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of of James's book works. I mean, uh, he, he's also the author of, I guess, something that's almost a classic in uh, uh, graphic novel publishing, recent graphic novel publishing, uh, The Golem's Mighty Swing. Mm-hmm. Um, so any book by uh, James Stern that comes out, I mean, he doesn't do a lot of books. Uh, it's definitely something that you want to pay attention to. So, I'll, I, yes, I have it on my desk and I'm waiting to read it. The reviewer wrote, this finely wrought, politically agitated graphic fiction recalls Raymond Carver and speaks almost too painfully to the personal strife in today's political climate. Wow. Okay. Off Season by James Stern. So the final book, which was a complete surprise to me, wasn't something I I didn't know the author. And, in fact, this went through review when I was on maternity leave. (laughs) So I wasn't part of the process of um, approving it for the start. So I asked the publisher to send it to me while I was on leave so I could read it in advance of our our podcast taping. And it's a lot of fun, even though it's a really dark topic. It's called PTSD, if you've ever got, like, a more straightforward title. Yeah, I guess that says it all from what I know of the book, which I also have not read, but I, I know a little bit about it. It's by Guillaume Sengeline, who is um, French, but I but it wrote it in English. I don't think it's wow. translated. Interesting. Um, I believe this is the first edition. Let me just double check. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it's, I don't believe this is translated from an original French work. I think he worked directly with for a second to put it out. So it follows um, a young fe- female character who is a, a, a veteran of. Um, you know, it's like a alternate reality 
city, have, uh, but feels like contemporary, right? In this alternate reality, very kind of Blade Runner esque if we were today, right? So, <laughs> 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 um, does that make sense? Because like we're about when Blade Runner was supposed to be. Yeah, I guess it, we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it has. A, it feels like a kind of a Tokyo or soul, um, and it's in this lovely watercolor, and it's about how all of the soldiers in this unpopular war are being treated poorly when they return home, and they're hooked on, like, an opioid epidemic-style drug, and it's about this young woman who was um, a sniper but also, like, worked with the medics and how she is navigating this community of veterans who are homeless in this wild, like richly illustrated city. Um, and there's a plot where she's trying to face off with the drug dealers of this mm. opioid. There's a, it's like an action packed um, French manga type style, but there's a lot of other influences in there. And I wouldn't even presume to name all of them. Um, the spiraling city and vibrant colors give the world a surreal out of time quality, like a violent dream says the review. Okay. This is a gorgeous meditation on the lingering horrors of war. Wow. Well, it may be in an alternate reality, but it seems to uh, certainly have um, more than a few themes that could be taken right out of today's culture. Yeah, and much like many of the books that Mark Siegel in particular has brought to life at at First Second, I don't know if he was the editor of this title, but that's my suspicion. I'd be curious to know. Mm. Um, It it really recalls animation, so it has a very... Mm. um, anime feel to it as you're reading it. There's just a lot of cinematic scenes. Okay. Well, um, this seems to me like three, uh, really terrific stars in, uh, in our galaxy of reviews. Um, so I can't wait to take a look at them myself. All right, Kevin, we'll have to, next time I'm going to make sure Kevin reads all the books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll do a better job next time. I promise. No, it's okay. Well, this is partly <laughs> about discovery. So this is your opportunity Absolutely. to hear me enthuse and then you get to read them. Maybe you can report back. Indeed, but we're, indeed I will. We're doing January at the end of the month. So hopefully I'll talk to you all sooner in February. All right. Uh, hey, Mick, thanks again for uh, another episode of, uh, of Stargazing. Thanks, Calvin. Well, that was great, Calvin. Um, yeah. Will we be having more <laughs> stargazing to come in the future? Oh, absolutely. We're going to do this once a month, so you'll, you'll be hearing from Meg again. And on that note, there will be more to come.